Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. For years, ParCast has worked tirelessly to bring you an unprecedented look at history's most radical true crime events. Your support has not only allowed us to keep exploring these stories, but has driven us to keep expanding as well. So as a thank you to the ParCast listeners, I am honored to announce the release of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's available on July 12th, and you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. The Branch Davidians, The Anthill Kids, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults combs through the terrifying details never explored in any of Parcast's series before. This is a passion project only made possible by you. So we truly hope you'll enjoy it. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 1893, two of America's largest employers, the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad and the National Cordage Company, collapsed. The ripple effect caused a complete economic failure. The stock market fell into a state of hysteria. Unemployment numbers began to skyrocket, and even the most profitable and successful businesses were forced to close up shop. This affected a beloved sausage factory in Lakeview, Chicago. The factory was owned and operated by a 48-year-old German immigrant named Adolf Lutgert. The loss devastated the neighborhood. Adolf had arrived in this country with only a few cents in his pocket and built an empire from the ground up. To many of his customers, neighbors, and friends, he was the human embodiment of the American dream. But behind closed doors, things were a little more complicated. And by 1897, Adolf Lutgert's life had transformed from a dream into a waking nightmare. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives closed the case. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our first episode on the Sausage Vat Murder, This week, we detailed the collapse of Adolf Lutgert's life in the wake of the 1890s economic depression. Next week, we follow law enforcement as they discover how this bout of bad luck led to the disappearance and grisly murder of Adolf's wife, Louisa. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. Adolf Lutgert was born on December 27, 1845 and grew up in a conservative and working-class neighborhood of Gütersloh, Germany. And although he wasn't born into wealth or prestige, his name did mean something. One of his eldest ancestors had built one of the town's longest-standing businesses, the Kornbrennerei Lutgert Whiskey Distillery. A portion of his family still operated the distillery, and the others had made a name for themselves in the business of selling hides and tallow, it was as if business and success were coded into his DNA. However, it didn't come as easily to Adolf as it did to the rest of his family. He struggled to find meaningful work for years. Sure, he could have easily taken a job at the distillery or sold hides alongside one of his many siblings. But he was in search of something more fulfilling. He wanted to be more than just another Lutgert. So Adolf walked the German countryside for three long years during his young adulthood in search of a purpose. But during that time, he found nothing more than a few tedious restaurant jobs and sore feet. He came to a conclusion that many other men his age arrived to at that time. His greatest opportunity could only be found in America. Like many other German immigrants, he set his sights on Chicago— the rapidly growing metropolis was home to many Central and Eastern European expats at the time. But when he arrived in the late 1860s, it soon became clear that things wouldn't be as easy as he hoped. Adolf had other family members in the States, but he was determined to make his name on his own, and he started off empty-handed. He spent the next few years bouncing between jobs. Adolf assisted at a leather tannery, worked at a moving company during the summer, and clocked in long hours at a meatpacking plant with plenty more in between. His relentless work ethic was driving him into the ground. Soon his friends began to worry for his well-being. But Adolf wanted to become a self-made man, and there was nothing that could stand in his way. One evening, after a long shift... He joined a friend at a local pub and explained the lofty ambitions that drove him. Just look at yourself, Adolf. You have last week's soot still on your shirt, and the bags beneath your eyes could hold more money than you make in a month. It won't be this way forever. I have big plans. Is that right? 
I'm going to be my own boss one day. I won't be taking orders from some lousy foreman. I'll call the shots. Ah, yes. Adolf Lutgert, the great entrepreneur. And what exactly do you plan on doing? I've been saving. And someday, I'll invest in the very thing we do every night. We come here and we drink. Men will always want booze. <laughs> I'll drink to that. By 1872, Adolf had been in the United States for six years. After over half a decade of toiling and numerous day jobs and grueling manual labor, he had managed to accrue an impressive amount of savings. That same year, he purchased a plot of land in North Chicago. This was a massive step forward for him. He was one step closer to starting his own business and taking charge of his own future. And although he wanted to forge his own path, his first entrepreneurial decision was clearly a nod to his family's distillery. He decided to open up a liquor store. It was successful, and the thrill of pulling off his first solo business venture was enough to sustain him. And as the years rolled on, the shop only grew more profitable. The dream that urged him to come to America in the first place felt closer than ever. Then, in 1878, 32-year-old Adolf Lutgert found the last piece of the puzzle. Love. Louisa Bicknisa had only been in America for five years when she met Adolf. She worked as a domestic servant in Germany and was immediately struck by Adolf's self-made success and ambition. The two quickly fell in love and married the same year they met. The next year, the couple sold their property and business in Chicago and headed for the more domestic neighborhood of Lakeview. There, they opened up another liquor store, this time with an attached saloon. It was a hit. They sold highly sought-after spirits, and Lutgert was quickly becoming a household name around the neighborhood. It was everything he had wanted since arriving in America. And although business was good... Pretty soon, he started setting his sights on something bigger. Ah, Mr. Lipnitsky! My favorite barman. Say, how's about a quick pour of brandy before I'm off to the butchers? That butcher down on Clybourne? Is it just me or has that place gone downhill? It's not just you. I bought two pounds of shots from there just last week, and I swear the whole thing was just fat and gristle. Hmm, interesting. Well, enjoy the drink. It's on the house. Cheers. The saloon continued to prosper well into the 1880s, and the Lutgerts couldn't complain. But after more than a decade of pulling himself from squalor and obscurity to where he was now, Adolf felt restless. He wanted more, but when he broached the topic with Louisa, she didn't see things the same way. It's not that there's anything wrong with what we have now, but if we sold the shop and found ourselves a bigger operation, we can- I want everything you want. I really do. But buying a new business, a new storefront, paying employees, we'd burn through our savings. You have to spend money to make money. Isn't that what they say here? <sighs> if we do this, we save every penny. Do you hear me? Every penny. I'm not going back to being a chambermaid. Although it took a toll on the relationship, Adolf got his way. The two decided to sell the saloon and use the profits to purchase a butcher shop. Louisa got her way as well. 
As a way to save as much money as possible, the two decided to live in a cramped apartment located directly above the shop. However, this latest venture wasn't so quick to take off. The meat game was far more complex and nuanced than liquor sales. For the first few months, Adolf would go into the homes of his friends and practically beg for them to come and patronize his shop. Due to the slow business, Adolf had an awful lot of time on his hands. During these idle hours, he decided to learn more about the trade. One aspect that especially caught his attention was sausage making. He started making kielbasa, frankfurters, and all sorts of sausages in the shop's back room. He quickly realized that he had a knack for it and began selling the sausages in his shop. They were an instant hit. It wasn't long before virtually every sausage being served across Chicago came from Adolf's shop. Soon, Adolf felt compelled to expand his business once more. While Louisa agreed this time around, they didn't quite see eye to eye. It could be wonderful. We'd have railroad tracks put in just outside so the trains could pull up right outside our loading docks. The building could be five, no, six stories high. Like the ones I saw when I first got to this country. Or we could be sensible and actually hold on to our money this time. But taking risks, it's the American way. You know what they call me out there? They call me the Sausage King. (laughs) We're royalty. (laughs) Let's build our kingdom, darling. (laughs) (sighs) Once again, Louisa gave in. In 1892, after spending close to a decade dreaming of expanding his business, Adolf finally got his way. He purchased a five-acre plot of land in Lakeview where a busy avenue met the Northwestern Railroad. There, he built the six-story sausage factory of his dreams. It was a massive structure consisting of a salesroom, smokehouses, furnaces, an engine room, and a basement with three cavernous vats used for curing. The factory was slated to be up and running by the next year, just in time for the World's Fair. And while Louisa was enticed by the promise of the new factory, she couldn't help but feel as though her financial worries were of no concern to her husband. She had been trying to convince him to make more frugal business decisions for almost 10 years now. And each time he waved her off. Once she found out how much this new factory cost, she realized just how little Adolf considered her input. Now, their entire livelihood was riding on this new business venture. So that's it then? All of the savings completely drained? If not this, then what? What else is money even for? Oh, I don't know. Our family, our livelihood, everything rides on the business now. We have nothing to fall back on. And why on earth would it fail? I can't keep these sausages on the shelf. They're going to be at the World's Fair for Pete's sake. You can't tell the future. Have you even been paying attention to the economy? People are always going to be hungry, my dear. Even more so if the economy goes belly up. Adolf, look at this. What do you see? That's my client list, dear. Look how much of your sales go to restaurants, high-end ones. These numbers far outweigh what you earn from foot traffic. This business cannot withstand a crash. People will want my sausage, no matter what. 
Adolf wasn't wrong to feel as confident as he did. With each passing year, his company had grown more and more profitable. But Louisa had a point. There were some things that no one could predict, not even the great sausage king. And unfortunately for him, his wife's instincts proved more accurate than he realized an unexpected economic collapse was brewing. Coming up, Adolf Lutgert loses everything. Hi, listeners. It's Carter from Parcast Network. It's the perfect time to grab yourself a second helping of the Spotify original from Parcast, Devious Dads. Our limited series is back with a new collection of episodes from across the network, exposing the unfortunate families whose patriarchs had a penchant for causing pain. Criminal masterminds, spies, murderers. Every Sunday on Spotify, Devious Dads features the fathers who chose to put the fear of God into those they tormented, including their own families. Some men raise children. Others raise hell. Be sure to follow season two of Devious Dads free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to our story. By the end of 1892, Adolf Lutgert's sausage factory was up and running. He was known across Illinois as the state's sausage king. His product was sold throughout the finest delicatessens and restaurants in Chicago. In 1893, the World's Fair was held in Chicago, Illinois. One of the many foods put on display was Adolf's beloved sausages. It was a massive hit with fairgoers. Some claimed that they'd remember those sausages for the rest of their lives. It was a high point in his career. However, that same year, an economic depression ripped through the country. Factories, refineries, and mills closed down nationwide. According to Alchemy of Bones author Robert Lorzell, one-fifth of Chicago's workforce was laid off, one-tenth of the city's population nearly starved each day, and children littered the streets searching for scraps to help feed their families. The demand for cheap cuts of meat and sausages was at an all-time high. However, many of Adolf's clients were high-end restaurants that shut down as a result of the Depression. This was a massive hit for the company. It was a disaster for the Lutgerts, and Louisa never missed an opportunity to say, I told you so. That's right. Just keep on sitting there. Maybe a sack of money will fall out of the sky and all our problems will be gone. What do you expect me to do? You know what you have to do. Everything I've done has been so we could have this life. And you want me to throw it away? Not throw it away. Sell it. You know it still has value, but not in our hands. How could you do this to me? I didn't do this to you. 
You did this to yourself. <laughs> Adolf knew his wife was right. It pained him to admit it, but there was no denying it any longer. So in 1896, he made plans with a wealthy friend to sell the company. However, in the middle of their deal, his friend mentioned that he knew of a buyer who might be better suited to take on such a large undertaking. The man's name was Robert Davy, and he claimed to be an absurdly wealthy venture capitalist from London. That fall, 50-year-old Adolf Lutgert met with Davy at the Great Northern Hotel in Chicago. You heard me right. Millions. 37 of them, to be exact. My goodness. In this economy, it sounds nearly impossible to accumulate such capital. Well, I take most of my investing tips from the prince. He has a very keen eye for these things. I'm sorry, the prince? Oh, my mistake. The Prince of Wales. He is a dear friend of mine. A terribly nice bloke once you get to know him, really. You're a remarkable man, I must say. A remarkable man who was about to purchase a sausage factory. What do you say, Adolf? Shall we make it official? You're an angel, Davy. Really, I can't thank you enough. You're really saving me here. On October 29th, 1896, Adolf signed papers to officially incorporate his company and issue $225,000 worth of bonds in Davy's name. By 2022's inflation rates, that would amount to over $7.5 million. In return, Davy would pay Adolf $200,000, an additional $100,000 in shares of the company, and an annual salary of $5,000. It seemed too good to be true. Adolf promptly issued Davy's bonds and gave them to his lawyers. His lawyers held off on paying Davy. But in the meantime, Adolf lent Davy $16,000 he'd received from remortgaging his property. Adolf thought the money would grease the wheels, but Davy did not pay him right away. Davy told him he just needed to take a quick trip into New York City to meet with some of his investors. There, he'd drum up the money that Adolf so desperately needed. However, soon after Davy left for his trip, Adolf received a telegram. Mr. Lutgert, this is Dr. John Phillips of the New Haven Hospital. I am writing to let you know that your associate, one Charles Davy, is currently under my care. He has fallen quite ill with rheumatic fever. I will send word once he is in good enough shape to travel. Thank you. Adolf raced into New Haven to come to the aid of his dear friend. Hello, yes, uh, I'm looking for a patient named Charles Davy. Davy, you said? Charles? Yes, this is urgent. I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have any patients registered under that name. That doesn't make any sense. Can I speak with Dr. Phillips? My friend is under his care. I hate to break it to you, but there hasn't been a Dr. Phillips at this hospital for close to 15 years. It didn't take long for Adolf to realize that Charles Davy was not a wealthy investor, nor was he his friend. He was a con man, and Adolf never heard from him again. Adolf returned home that day empty-handed and defeated. It took him a full month to work up the courage and break the news to Louisa. And when he did, their relationship all but crumbled. It was so bad they couldn't even hide it. 
Neighbors complained about hearing skirmishes between the two. Others saw Adolf out and about town with various women, one of whom was Mary Seemering, the Lutgert's servant. No one could be exactly clear what was happening inside the Lutgert's home. But whatever it was, it painted a bleak picture of what their marriage had become. By 1897, the ordeal had taken the worst toll on Louisa's mental health. She hardly left her room. When she did, she seemed all out of sorts. She would stare off into space and let her jaw hang agape. She once even purchased a pair of slippers that were too small for her. Instead of returning them, she carried them with her as if they were some sort of pet. It seemed as though things couldn't get any worse at the Lutgert household, but on April 27th, it became clear that the worst was yet to come. A family friend stopped by the house to check in on Louisa. He knew she'd be in rough shape, but there was nothing that could have prepared him for what he was about to encounter. Miss Lutgert, are you in here? I just wanted to come in and... Please, please, you must get me out of here. I can't stand it. I simply can't. Everything is gone. Adolf lost it all. If I leave this house, the whole world out there, they'll just point and laugh at me. This failure has latched onto me. Come on, the whole country has it bad. Everyone out there understands. Why don't we go out and get some air? Don't you touch me. Don't you grab me like he does. It's all gone. Everything, everything is gone. (laughs) The family friend did his best to help Luisa in her frail state, but she wasn't having it. He left, knowing that if he stayed, he'd likely do more harm than good. Soon after this encounter, Adolf caught wind of his wife's deteriorating mental state, but he paid it no mind. It was as if he was able to pretend like nothing was happening. While Louisa was having full-blown breakdowns in the home that they shared, he was out with Mary at galas and balls. One such event was to be held on the evening of Saturday, May 1st. However, in a move that was uncharacteristic of Adolf, he canceled the tickets at the very last minute. When asked why... Adolf responded that he simply had too much work at the factory. But by this point, it was well known that Lutgert's business was in shambles, and the factory was going to be repossessed at any moment. Things were clearly not going well for him, so out of sympathy, people left it alone. However, by the next morning, everyone had questions. On May 2nd, Mary Seemering awoke at 5.30 a.m. and began the regular morning routine. She prepared breakfast for Mr. Lutgert and sat with him while he ate. But around 10 a.m., she realized something was horribly wrong. Louisa Lutgert had disappeared. Coming up, the hunt for Louisa Lutgert begins. And now, back to our story. The morning of May 2nd, 1897, began in a panic. The Lutgert family's maid and Adolf Lutgert's reported lover, Mary Seemering, realized Louisa Lutgert was missing. And while Seemering fell into a panic, Adolf remained chillingly calm. 
Oh, Mr. Ludgert, I'm just so sorry. I, I haven't the slightest idea where she could have gone. Uh, uh, yes. She's been acting quite strange the past few months, hasn't she? Suppose we shouldn't be very surprised. Are, are, are you going to do anything? Maybe call someone? What's that? Oh, right. Call someone. Yes, that sounds about right. Probably the police, don't you think? Uh, I think my lawyers should do just fine. Adolf spent most of the conversation complaining about his failed business. Finally, after lamenting his lost fortune, the discussion turned to Louisa. Adolf confidently asserted that she left him for another man. He didn't know who he was, how Louisa knew him or where they'd gone, but Lutgert was certain that this is what caused her disappearance. All his lawyer said on the matter was that he shouldn't go to the media. His professional opinion was that the failure of his sausage factory was enough of a PR nightmare on its own. If news started circulating that his wife had disappeared, it would only make Adolf's recovery all the more difficult. However, whatever hopes he had of reclaiming his title as Sausage King were dashed the next day. The bank that gave Adolf his first loan seized the factory. He did not take it well. It's gone! It's all gone! Just like that! <laughs> While Lutgert sat devastated in his home, inspectors arrived at the factory. They couldn't help but notice something strange. What on earth is inside all these boxes? It looks like soap. Huh. Guess making sausage isn't the cleanliest profession in the world. This is enough soap for six factories this size. Guy must be a neat freak or something. From there, things only got worse. Around 1 p.m., a knock came at Adolf's door. It was Louisa's brother, and he wanted answers. Uh, Diedrich. Hello. Where's my sister? She hasn't run off to your place? Would I be here if she was? What's your game? Look, I don't know how to tell you this, but I believe your sister ran off with some other man. No brother wants to hear something like that about their beloved sister, but it's the truth. We both know that's not the case. What happened? Were you two fighting again? I don't know what to tell you. Have you even tried to find her? Called the police? Anything? My attorney advised me against drawing attention to it. You are a real piece of work. If anything's happened to Louisa, it's on you! After realizing that Adolf would be no help to him, Diedrich went straight to the Chicago Police Department. Captain Herman Schutler and Inspector Michael Schack were assigned to the case. On the morning of May 8, 1897, the investigation into the disappearance of Louisa Lutgert officially began. First, the officer sat down with Adolf to get his account of everything that had happened. So, Mr. Lutgert, do you have any idea why Louisa might have, uh, run off with another man? I believe she's gone insane. She's been erratic for quite some time now. Who knows where she could be? With a man? Off by herself? Who knows? 
So you don't think she ran off with another man? You think she may have run off with another man? Uh, well, look, it's really all conjecture, isn't it? Mr. Lutgert, that's not really the same thing. I we admire your dedication to your wife's safety. My last question is, how do you account for your wife's supposed insanity? Ever since the demise of my, I mean, our business, she had been acting strange. The sausage factory was part of our family. Really. Losing it was like losing a close relative. I can only imagine. But you know what I find interesting? Earlier this year, one of your Great Danes went missing. You called us the exact same hour when you noticed it was gone, yet now your wife is missing and you wait almost a week to contact us. Don't you find that a little strange? Well, um, I- Thank you for your time, Mr. Lutgert. Needless to say, the officers left that day with a prime suspect. But there was still much work to be done. So the next day, Captain Schutler sent officers to the sausage factory to scan for evidence. The team of police arrived and began skimming and sifting through a large pile of ash found just outside the factory grounds. What exactly are we supposed to be looking for here? Beats me. Maybe bullet shells? Anything suspicious, I suppose. Well, wait, come here. This seems pretty suspicious to me. Is that... a woman's hairpin? And right next to it, those metal strips? Those are the bits that hold a corset together. Later, officers headed to the factory's basement. As soon as they entered the musty room, they were hit with the strong smell of chemicals. They noticed three large vats at the back of the basement. Each one was about 12 feet long and a few feet tall. Something about these wooden vessels gave the officers a strange feeling. They decided to look inside them. Once they hoisted themselves up and peered inside, their suspicions were confirmed. The outside vats were clean, but the middle vat held a thick, reddish-brown fluid. It looked completely alien to the officers. When they looked closer, they found something even more concerning. A floating fake tooth. They took a sample of the liquid back to their labs. Next, they decided to interview the skeleton crew Adolf kept on site to maintain the grounds. One staff member was named Frank B. Alk, and the detectives sat him down for an interview as soon as they could. Thanks so much for meeting with us today, Frank. Means a lot. Now, is there anything you can tell us about the past few months at the factory? Anything odd? Any strange behavior from Mr. Lutgert? Well, now that you mention it, yeah. A few things, if I'm being honest. First of all, we got this barrel delivered around March. Any idea what might have been in the barrel? I opened it and the substance inside was chalky and strange. I went to break it up and it felt like putting my hand right into a fireplace. Then Mr. Lutgert stopped me. He told me to wear gloves on account of it being real strong stuff. That's what he called it. Very strong stuff. Hmm. Then what? Didn't hear much about it until last week. Mr. Lutgert had me wrap up my hands with rags and put a bandana around my face. I broke up the stuff with an iron rod. Almost took us all day. Did you get a close look at it? Mr. Lutgear didn't like us getting too curious with it. We just filled the middle vat up a quarter of the way or so with water, and then poured the whole barrel in there. Then we opened up the steam pipe. 
The steam started rolling through the vat, and by about 2 a.m., it was all dissolved. Frank Bialk clocked out that morning around 7 a.m. When he came back for his next shift on May 2nd, he headed to the engine room to rake out the ashes, as was customary. However, Adolf had already cleaned the entire room spotlessly. According to Bialk, this had never happened before. Next, he entered the vat room. Immediately, he noticed a thick brown substance leaking down the side of the middle vat, pouring into the gutter. A hose pumped water into it, and it was clear the hose had been left running for hours. The smell was putrid, like boiled rotten meat. Another co-worker who was kept on Adolf's skeleton staff also noticed the brown fluid that poured out from the vats. When he looked closer, he saw strange pieces of something floating throughout the viscous substance. They looked like small bits of flesh and bone. Bialka agreed to take the officers to the factory to show them the vats in person. They all met up again a week later on May 15th and made their way to the factory's basement. As Detective Shack neared the vat, he spotted a strand of long hair clinging to the top of the large vessel. The two officers drained its contents into a few plastic bags and vials to get a better look. After the vat had emptied, Shack held the bag to the light. The liquid was repulsive. An ivory fragment floated around the brown muck, and as the sun illuminated it in full, the officers couldn't help but notice that it resembled a piece of skull. Finally, one officer leaned over the empty vat and called out. Get over here, now! What is it? Look, down into the bottom of the vat. What do you see? Are those rings? A wedding band. The detective plunged his hand inside and grabbed the piece of jewelry. Engraved on the inside of the ring were the initials L.L. The ring belonged to Louisa Lutgert. Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two of the Sausage Vat Murder. We'll explore the rest of the investigation into Louisa Lutgert's gruesome murder and see how it all unfurled in the courtroom. For more information on the Sausage Vat Murder, amongst the many sources we used, we found Alchemy of Bones by Robert Lorzell extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solve Murders is written by Spencer Fox, with writing assistance by Sarah Batchelor and Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Anya Barely and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Kai Jordan, Ellie Schiff, Nazee Tarsha, and Charlie Wess. 
Solve Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast Network. Devious Dads is back for a second season and a new collection of hair-raising episodes from across our catalog of shows. Every Sunday, meet the parents who were anything but protectors. Follow Devious Dads free and only on Spotify. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. Exciting news. Parcast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, is now available for pre-order at parcast.com cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before. Details which haven't even been explored in our Cults podcast. Visit parcast.com cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them.